Today is October 12th, 2020. Trump is said to no longer be a transmission risk anymore by his White House doctors. Nancy Pelosi plays hardball by invoking the 25th Amendment. And confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett starts in the Senate. Welcome back, Split the Difference friends, Split the Difference family, to the best episode that we have been able to produce thus far in our journey of Split the Difference podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, for turning on. we got a great show for you today, per usual. If you are new, then let me give you my spiel. Split the Difference podcast is not your normal political podcast. We look at things on both sides of the aisle, things from the left, things from the right, and we do our best to try and find that sweet truth that sits right in the middle. We don't think it's wrong to have opinions because absolutely everybody does, but we want to do our best to be civil, to be kind, to be reasonable and level-headed, and to have open discussion across both sides of the aisle, to try and come up with a little bit of solutions or uh, maybe try to bridge some of the gap. So our goal here is to uh, do anything and everything that we can uh, to be not your normal political podcast, but hopefully maybe be a little bit something that you're not used to listening to. So with that being said, here in this fall season, we're starting right in on our story number one. So first story is Donald Trump's doctor, his White House doctoral staff came out and they said that Donald Trump is coronavirus free, that he is no longer a transmission risk. Donald Trump has now been going all around uh, tweeting various times and also saying in various occasions that he thinks that he is now immune from the coronavirus. There's no way that he can get it again and that he more than likely can't even pass it on to other people. I don't know where he's getting that from, but <laughs> that's what Donald Trump is saying. So uh, this comes just 10 or so days after Trump contracted the coronavirus and uh, was shipped off to Walter Reed Medical Center there in D.C., got some around-the-clock care for a couple of days in the hospital, left the hospital and came back to the White House. If we remember way back last week when he decided to give his speech on the White House balcony shortly after arriving back from the hospital with no mask on <laughs> and then tell the country that we shouldn't be scared of the coronavirus. Um, he is now saying that he's planning on going back to normal life. I believe that he actually has a uh, rally planned for Florida down in Florida today. So he is he's, he's hitting the ground running. He's ready, just back ready to go. He had an open-air gathering at the White House over the weekend where he stood on the balcony, gave a little bit of a speech. Um, we can go ahead, hop in, and take a look. I've got a, a brief look at that now covered by um, a news story here from Reuters. President of the United States. Donald Trump is no longer a transmission risk for COVID-19, his doctor said late on Saturday, as the U.S. president seeks to put the respiratory disease behind him and return to campaigning. First of all, I'm feeling great. I don't know about you. How is everyone feeling? Trump, who is trailing his Democratic challenger Joe Biden in opinion polls, addressed a crowd of largely black and Latino supporters from the White House balcony on Saturday afternoon, his first public event since his hospitalization. Get out and vote. We got to vote. We got to vote these people into oblivion. Vote them into oblivion. Got to get rid of them. 
His physician, Sean Connolly, said in a statement after the event that Trump had taken a test on Saturday, showing he was no longer a transmission risk to others and that there was no evidence of actively replicating virus. All right, so uh, Donald Trump there on stage saying that he had that everybody's got to get out a vote, got to vote the Democrats into oblivion, oblivion. Uh, so it appears Trump's feeling good and he's ready to go. Uh, he has been up and running on all types of different news shows. He's been doing plenty of different speeches. I, if he's not feeling good, then he does seem like he's at least 90, 95% of the way back. So there have been uh, a pretty amazing and diverse group of hot takes that have come over from the left over these past couple of days. It has been honestly kind of impressive. I have seen videos of people giving commentary of a short clip of Donald Trump just standing up and breathing and them saying that it it is all the telltale signs of walking pneumonia. Um I mean, I've seen people on the left diagnosing Trump with uh, a million other different health problems and health defects, uh, all of them, which, well, I guess none of these health problems have been uh, effectively, I guess, diagnosed by all of the doctors and Donald Trump's uh, health staff. But um, the biggest question I think that a lot of people have on both the right and the left side of the aisle is whether or not he needs to be going around and traveling and holding rallies and, and, you know, shaking hands and meeting people. Um, and this is a completely legitimate concern, right? So you, we know that Donald Trump is less than two weeks out from being diagnosed with the coronavirus. Okay, like he's he only got diagnosed with the coronavirus after the first debate, two days, quote unquote, after the first debate. So according to, you know, his very own CDC, people can be contagious for up to three weeks after they have the latest show, the latest symptoms and after they test for the coronavirus. The White House actually has not come out and said whether or not uh, whether or not Donald Trump has actually tested negatively on a coronavirus test. Um, so Conley, the white house doctor said in his memo, quote, now, uh, at day 10 from symptom onset, fever free for well over 24 hours and all symptoms improve. The assortment of advanced diagnostic tests obtained reveal there is no longer evidence of actively replicating virus. Then he said, moving forward, I will continue to monitor him clinically as he returns to an active schedule. And then he later on added that he demonstrated decreasing viral loads. So decreasing viral loads basically means that when they are taking samples from the patient's systems, uh, they're showing a decreasing amount of the virus being present. What that doesn't say is that they're seeing no virus present, which you don't have to have no virus in your system. You don't have to have no virus in your system. There doesn't have to be virus in your system necessarily in order for you to, you know, continue to be contagious. But at the same time, just because you do have virus in your system doesn't mean that you are contagious, okay? So um, at this point, we don't necessarily know exactly what is going on with Donald Trump because it does seem like his doctors have been kind of shifty over the past couple of weeks. They've been saying one thing and then having to go back and correct themselves or they're uh, saying some, saying something like, oh, well, you know, in the 72 hours that Donald Trump was in Walter Reed Medical Center, which he really he wasn't in there for 17, 72 hours. He really wasn't even close to in there for 72 hours. Um, 
And then Donald Trump is coming out and saying stuff like he's immune to the coronavirus. Um, and he says that uh, he beat the China virus and he's not worried about reinfection or infecting anybody else. This kind of just seems counter to what we know about the coronavirus so far. This is totally anecdotal, but I, I have a friend that was diagnosed with the coronavirus, didn't really feel many symptoms, was kind of laid low for about a week or so, and then over the course of the next two months, continued to test positive for the coronavirus in his system. Now, that can either be poor testing or testing can be wrong, or he very well could have been infectious still. He could have been able to pass it along. We don't know nearly enough about the coronavirus to know that you can, whether or not you can have it, and then within about a week and a half, you're good to go back to rallies. So the left is obviously saying that Trump is being incredibly irresponsible here. Um, I definitely hear that because he's jumping right back into the fray. Uh, even before this, Donald Trump obviously was unabashedly someone that was going to be out uh, campaigning, rallying, you know, getting everybody riled up, getting his fan base going. Um, and he, that is exactly his plan from here on out. He doesn't plan on changing that up at all here in these last couple of weeks before the election. Um, and where I do see where the left is coming from there, on the other side, I don't necessarily think that Trump has a choice here. If Donald Trump wants to win this election, he has got to be out rallying his base. He's got to be out showing people, talking to people about things that he's done that are good. He has to take some of the focus off of himself, and he has to put it on the other side of the aisle. And we'll, we'll get into that a little bit here a little bit later, but... At this point, honestly, the only thing that we can do is just trust trust that the White House doctoral staff know what they're doing and uh, that they are not going to be doing anything that's going to be putting Trump or the country in danger. There's not a lot else that we can that we can do about this. You can sit back on your TV shows or you can sit back on your YouTube channels or your podcasts and you can claim to be a doctor or you can say that you can actually be a doctor and you can do your best to diagnose Donald Trump from a couple of short video clips, but you can't. You can't actually diagnose him. Those are the only people that are looking at his blood tests, that are taking sampling, that are working with Donald Trump every day are the doctors that he has on staff, and a lot of them are some of the best doctors in the country, arguably. So you have to trust what they say. So the country, in some way, um, is kind of dealing with the fact that it's honestly a tragedy between the media that don't trust Trump at all, but also can't be trusted, and Donald Trump, who most people don't trust at all, and also really can't be trusted. We don't really know what to do. We don't know who to look at for any sort of truth. And we have to kind of just sit back and say, all right, this is Donald Trump is going to rally. He's going to go and do his thing regardless. Nothing that we can do about it outside of doing our best to wear our face masks and wash our hands and social distance properly, um, even if we don't know that Donald Trump is doing that. So uh, another interesting little thing that happened over the weekend is that Trump put Dr. Anthony Fauci on a campaign video. And in the campaign video, it made it seem like Dr. Fauci was openly endorsing Donald Trump and that Fauci was saying he was a fan of Trump. Fauci then had to come out in a statement and say that he does not support either political candidate and that he was taken completely out of context. So all of that just looks like another classic blunder for Trump. 
It looks like Donald Trump over the weekend is saying that coronavirus is not a big deal. He is now immune from the coronavirus, that the American people have nothing that they need to worry about with the coronavirus at all. And then the man that uh, the head doctor, an immunologist that is uh, very, very actively speaking to the country and saying that the coronavirus is a very big deal. Uh, Donald Trump tries to, I guess, halfway get their endorsement and they have to come out and rebuke him for it. All of it honestly just looks like Trump is saying a lot of stuff that he can't back up and it's causing him to lose more credibility than he even already had to the American people. If Donald Trump is in the news day in and day out and the media are always getting fuel to put on the fire for Donald Trump here over this ne- these next couple of weeks, it's not going to be good for Trump. This has got to be... If, if things... If Donald Trump wants to win re-election, then things have got to shift to be more of a focus on the Democrats. And trust me, hear me when I say the Democrats are working hard to make that happen. There's no shortage of crazy things going on up in Washington, D.C. So with that being said, let's go ahead and move on to story number two. So story number two, Nancy Pelosi starts playing some real hardball with the 25th Amendment. Uh, this is a story that absolutely enraged Republicans over the weekend. It's classic Nancy Pelosi. If there's anything that Nancy Pelosi is good at, you can hate on who she is. You can hate on the politics that she stands for. You could say that her hair doesn't even look that good, even though she gets it done in salons when she's not supposed to. If there is anything Nancy Pelosi is great at, it is getting the Republicans so riled up and furious. She is a master at this. So Nancy Pelosi over the weekend or over about, I think it was actually, she talked, started talking about it heavily on Friday released that she was going to put together a bipartisan commission to tell whether or not the president is fit for office. So this would be set up under a bill introduced actually about three years ago or so. I think it was 2017 by the democratic house of representative rep, uh, Jamie Raskin out of Maryland. And it's called, so it's called the Presidential Capacity to Discharge the Powers and Duties of the Office. That's the name of the commission, I believe. So it would be composed of a 17-member, it would be a 17-member commission composed of four physicians, four psychiatrists, eight former high-ranking executive branch officers appointed by congressional leadership from both parties. And then the final member would be selected by the other 16 to serve as the chairman of the commissioner of the commission. So she says that she's doing all of this by invoking the 25th amendment. So the 25th amendment where in order to kind of understand all this, unfortunately I'm going to have to go into a little bit of a history lesson here. So let's sit back, relax. Let's, let's learn a little bit of history. So what is the 25th amendment? When was it, when was it established? So there isn't, there wasn't really specific any protocol Uh, outlined by the Constitution as to what to do if the president died or if the vice president had to step up, up, leaving the vice president's spot vacant. There have been multiple occasions where this has happened. We've had presidents that have died in office. Um, We actually have had one president, Woodrow Wilson, that had a stroke while in office and was severely incapacitated and uh, was unable to perform his jobs and duties all the way but refused to resign as president. And his vice president refused to uh, take over or supersede the role. So eventually, in the 1960s, when uh, John F. Kennedy was shot and killed, um, and LBJ, Lyndon B. Johnson, uh, was to assume the presidency, 
there were a lot of questions about LBJ's health. The states realized that there needed to be something done in order to decide how all the transfers of power are going to be carried out and what needs to be done in order to remove a president from office that could not perform their duties. It should be, I guess, should be noted a bit that um, before the 25th Amendment, uh, or I guess before the 25th Amendment was when Woodrow Wilson um, was, when everything happened with him when he had a stroke. So that was in 1919. The 25th Amendment actually happened in uh, the late 60s. So uh, within the 25th Amendment structure, the structure of it between both that, you know, in order to be able to pass an amendment, as we know, there has to be three-fourths of the state that ratify it in, the, in their constitutions. It has to be uh, verified by both houses of Congress. You can't just, you know, willy-nilly th- amend the Constitution, right? So the entire country agreed that this was a good thing to put in in the 60s. So uh, within the 25th Amendment, there's language about the vice president and a majority of the, of the cabinet being able to decide whether or not the president is capable. So the idea behind it was that the vice president and the vi- and the cabinet, the executive branch cabinet that the president chooses, would all be able to come together and decide the president is not able to fulfill their duties to the American people the way that they've elected him to do it. As a result, we, he, needs, he or she needs to be removed from office and the vice president needs to assume that position. So, however... And this is where Nancy Pelosi squeezes it in. There is also language that could delegate such authority to, quote, such other body as Congress may law provide. So, Nancy is saying that there needs to be a commission created in Congress that would go through and be able to check whether or not the president is fit for office. From what it looks like, This bill would basically put together the necessary body to examine the president that is described in the 25th Amendment. Now, you kind of have to read into the 25th Amendment a pretty good bit in order to get to where Nancy Pelosi is right now. But it's not too far of a stretch to say the 25th Amendment does have language about a body outside of the executive branch that would put that would uh, that would need to examine the president for their fitness. So what does the left say? What does the right say? How can we kind of parse and figure out what needs to be done or, you know, what the truth is here? So the left says that this is a very good thing and that Nancy Pelosi is just doing what needs to be done under the 25th Amendment. And that's what Nancy Pelosi is saying too. When asked about it, Nancy Pelosi is basically just like, Listen, I'm doing what should have been done years and years ago. I'm just stepping up and and trying to do the right thing here. It's pretty clear that they wouldn't actually be able to remove Trump from office this term, right? If they wanted to come after Trump with this. And the Democrats have come after Trump and hit him with every single thing that they can possibly hit him with. They've investigated his, his administration from the moment that he walked in the door to up until now on multiple different things. They have impeached him in the House. They have attacked him with the media. And don't get me wrong, I am not the biggest fan of Trump in the world, but Trump has had has been shaken out by the Democrats nonstop, and Nancy Pelosi has led that in a lot of ways. So it's clear to see right now because there's not enough time. Donald Trump, they wouldn't be able to use this to attack Donald Trump right now. However... If Donald Trump or if Joe Biden were to get into office the next term, 
they would absolutely be able to use it then. So there's a lot of um, going back and forth on the left side of the aisle as well. Confusion about, all right, why now? Like Nancy Pelosi is not stupid. Nancy Pelosi is not an idiot. She knows what she's doing. This is very calculated, okay? Nancy Pelosi realizes that in the next presidency, we're going to have one of the oldest presidents that that the United States has ever had, either in Joe Biden or Donald Trump. They will break the record for the oldest president that's been in office. So I think that Nancy Pelosi is saying, all right, we're, we're gonna, we want to move to be able to have this in place, but it's obviously going to be incredibly political. So many on the left are saying, well, is she using this for Trump? Or is she using this as maybe like a backstop or just in case if Trump gets into office, she can kind of attack him with this? Or is she using this because she thinks Joe Biden is going to get in office and they really want Harris to assume the presidency? That's a lot of jockeying back and forth. I don't necessarily, I don't know what Nancy Pelosi is thinking or what she's doing and how, what the calculus is right now, but it's definitely an interesting time for her to come in and throw that out. So what's the right saying? The right is saying that Pelosi is just trying to politic and make it seem like there's something wrong with the president when there actually isn't. So she's commented multiple times about how, about Donald Trump contracting the coronavirus. She's commented a couple of times about, uh, well, she's always said that she thinks Donald Trump is crazy, which she's probably right. Donald Trump probably is a little bit crazy. Unfit to hold the prof, to hold the office of president. Mm, I don't, I don't know that you can make the, uh, make the argument that he's mentally unfit. You can disagree with all his politics, but I don't know that he's mentally unfit. That's a pretty, that's a pretty long stretch. So the right is saying that she wants to distract from the fact that she isn't negotiating on the stimulus bill in any real way, and she wants to distract from Amy Coney Barrett being confirmed, and she's trying to claim that the president is unfit to fuel fears that just aren't true about Trump. So um, here's I got a quick clip, actually, of Steve Scalise, who is Louisiana uh, House of Representative. Um, he's a representative from Louisiana. So uh, let's hop in and take a quick look at what uh, Steve Scalise says. I honestly think it, it kind of sums up how a lot of the Republican Party feels right now. Let's listen in. Well, first of all, this shows you just how misplaced Speaker Pelosi's priorities are. Uh, we should be in Washington helping families that are struggling and recovering and small businesses that would love another round of Paycheck Protection Program funding where there's massive bipartisan support for Congressman Shabbat's bill to give them another round of PPP funding. That could be passed tomorrow, but she's not bringing us back for that. Uh, she has been fixated for the last four years with overturning the results of the last election. Uh, and, and here she is again on the heels of Vice President Pence mm -hmm. uh, winning handily in the debate against Kamala Harris. She's now trying to overturn the results of next month's election. Uh, she's wanted to remove President Trump from office. Okay, so that's Steve Scalise. And honestly, he's got a really good point here, okay? It seems like Pelosi is trying to do everything she can to invalidate the election and the presidency instead of working to solve a lot of the problems that she can actually solve, okay? She's, she can't rewrite the entirety of election law right now. She can't force Biden into the presidency. But what she can do is actually pass stimulus. What she can do is, is legislate. What she's in the legislature to do. She is supposed to be writing and working together across the aisle and with her own party in order to be able to put legislation in that is going to be of benefit to the American people. There, I don't know that there's a lot of bipartisan support saying that Trump 
legally or is not should not be in in power right now that he shouldn't be is that he's not fit to be in office i don't think there's a lot of bipartisan support for that she is obviously trying to do this political jockeying right now ahead of the presidency because she thinks that it's going to help joe biden now like i have said before it is my personal opinion that whoever is in the news the most over these next three weeks is going to do the worst in the election with Nancy Pelosi standing up, doing all this grandstanding, talking about removing Trump from office or talking about removing a president from office because they're unfit, um, it's going to make the Democrats look like they're uh, more ideologically focused or more far left. Uh, and the Republicans are going to be able to sit back and be like, look, all we're trying to do is serve the country and get you your stimulus checks. And we can't do it. You know, we can't do it because the Democrats just refuse to work with us. Look at what Nancy Pelosi is doing right now. Um, if they're able, if the Republicans are able to sit back and they're able to point at television sets and say, look at all these Democrats standing up here saying all this crazy stuff that all they want to do is attack Donald Trump. All they want to do is attack the Republicans instead of actually working to get anything done. It's not going to look good for Democrats going into November 3rd. But all that... To be said, wrapping up the story here, either way, it is apparent that there really does need to be something in place where we are able to decide and figure out what to do if a president is mentally unfit for office or if they're physically unable to perform their duties or what to do if a president needs to be removed from office and they don't feel like they should go. It's obvious that there needs to start being some very real, some very real talks, right? I mean, if the only people the only candidates that both mainstream or mainline parties are going to put forth are going to be in their mid to late 70s from here going forward like we have had this over the past couple of years, then we've got to have conversations like this. And it's always going to sound extremely partisan. If Nancy Pelosi came up, uh, and if Joe Biden won the presidency here in the next month, and Nancy Pelosi, at the beginning of his term, put, tried to invoke the 25th Amendment to be able to remove Joe Biden from office because she thought it was unfit. Nobody would look at that and be like, oh, man, well, you know, she's just doing what's best for the country. People would more than likely look at it and be like, well, this was their plan all along. You know, this is all just political jockeying. At no point can you say that there needs to be a commission to remove the president from office without it being incredibly divisive and political. However... Unfortunately, this is a conversation that we as a country kind of need to have. Like, what, you know, how, what is the best way to be able to transfer that power from the vice president to the president should that, that case arrive? I don't think that we are even close to that case right now. It does not appear that Trump is unable to perform his office, his official duties, and it does not appear right now that Joe Biden wouldn't be able to perform his duties. So, uh, I'd like to think that Nancy Pelosi is just doing what she feels is best for the country right now. This does seem incredibly well-timed, though. So uh, it makes me a little bit nervous to think about the fact that we've got two candidates, though, that are very that are in their late 70s, and we're in the middle of a global pandemic, and there's not a lot of people that are at least willing to talk about what to do should the case arise where a president is unfit to be able to perform their duties. Um. When it comes down to it, though, Nancy Pelosi's trying to politic for sure right now, which if there's anything Nancy Pelosi's good at, it's making the Republicans very, very mad. 
So if she's able to stay in the news or if the Democrats are able to stay in the news nonstop between here and November 3rd, it's going to be very good for Republicans. Other side of the aisle, if Republicans stay in the, in the news every single day doing it, saying a bunch of crazy stuff like Trump saying he's immune to the coronavirus, then the Democrats are going to do, it's going to bode well for the Democrats going into November. So let's head on over to story three. So our third story for the day starts with uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee. So they are beginning their confirmation process of Amy Coney Barrett today. She will give her opening statements uh, to the Judiciary Committee. And uh, I suppose they have an idea of what it's going to be about. So a lot, a couple of the different news stories that I've looked at have said that all, all pretty much the same thing. That she's going to be emphasizing her love for her family and her country. Um, and that she's going to be uh, talking a good bit about her mentor, her late uh, mentor, Anthony Scalise. So Scalise was, as many of you probably know, uh, a former ju- justice on the Supreme Court. Amy Coney Barrett clerked for him and worked underneath him for a while. He was an incredibly intelligent man. He was also very conservative, very, very far right on the uh, in terms of his judicial interpretation. So he was a constitutional originalist. He read the law for what he believed the law to say at the time that it was written and now interpret that through, uh, interpret that today to be able to, um, I guess, interpret the law now today based upon how it was written then. So uh, Amy Coney Barrett, I personally think in just about any other time where it wasn't incredibly partisan, there wasn't a huge partisan divide, uh, where we weren't uh, three weeks away from an election Amy Coney Barrett would pretty much be a shoe-in for the Supreme Court. She's incredibly talented. She's very, very well accomplished. She's extremely educated. She has a great family background. She's a good American-loving woman. Um, And there have been a lot of people on both sides of the aisle that have said that. So large people that have come out and endorsed her, including very liberal professors at Notre Dame, uh, people that she worked with and others. So um, she... She's smart, she's capable, but she was confer- was nominated by President Trump in probably one of the most controversial ways in American history to be able to nominate a Supreme Court justice. This close to an election, there's obviously going to be a lot of emotions that run high about a, another more conservative Supreme Court justice being uh, confirmed. So it would be very interesting to see how all of this plays out over the next couple of weeks. Kamala Harris, the uh, VP, candidate running for office, as you know, is on the Senate Judiciary Committee. She will be, uh, I think, logging in, they said, through video chat to listen to her. Um, There's no doubt that there's going to be a lot of theatrics. There are going to be a lot of eyes on Harris as well to see how she handles herself, the questions that she asks, what she does. Um, She did a whole lot of stuff for the Brett Kavanaugh hearings about two years ago that uh, really frustrated a lot of people throughout the country because of how theatrical it was. The Brett Kavanaugh hearings were just unbelievable. It was a circus. If this turns into that, then it's going to be a uh, very, very interesting show to watch on the news over the next couple weeks. But a lot of this basically hinges on whether or not they're going to try and drill her down on two things. They're going to try and drill her down on Roe versus Wade and her opinion on that, or whether or not she wants to overturn it. And they're going to drill her down on her opinion on the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, whether or not she's going to want to get in and within her first week dissent or try to remove Obamacare. 
So if there are some solid sound bites of the Democrats asking Amy Coney Barrett about if she wants to remove Obamacare, if she thinks Obamacare is awful, then it's going to, it's going to look pretty bad for the Republicans going into this. But this has, could absolutely be one of the most defining factors heading straight into the presidency right now. And it appears in a lot of ways that the Democrats have a good amount to lose here. Uh, I don't necessarily think that there are a lot of Republicans uh, that are going that are benefiting a ton from getting Amy Coney Barrett pushed into this pushed in through the Senate as fast as they possibly can. I don't think that the American people, by polling data, love to see Supreme Court justices just cram through. But I don't also don't think that this is a huge like that. I don't think that this would be a huge deciding factor for most Americans when they're uh, going into the election. What would be a deciding factor is if the Democrats started hitting Amy Coney Barrett really, really hard about her religion, her faith, her family, um, and they started to attack her personally. It is incredibly clear the American people were not a fan of how bad Brett Kavanaugh was drugged through the mud by the Democrats. Um, and there actually a, a latest survey that I saw saying that uh, 64% of people oppose asking a Supreme Court pick about their religion at all. Um, it was almost all of the people on the right side of the aisle that would claim to be conservative said that they don't think they should. And well over half of the Democrats, uh, or on the maybe more left-leaning people, said that they, you shouldn't ask a Supreme Court about their uh, pick about their religion. Another 54% said that they were against court packing. So um, it definitely doesn't look great. If the Democrats get in there and start asking her a ton of stuff about her religion, attacking her about what she believes, um, America is still, by and large, a majority religious country. Now, you can argue whether or not people act in that way, right? But the majority of people in America, by polling data, claim to follow some sort of religion. Attacking a Supreme Court pick about their religion, especially in the way that the, the Democrats attacked Brett Kavanaugh, uh, is not... It's not going to look good going into November. So, um, if but if they're able to attack her hard about her previous opinions, focus specifically on the fact that she would quote want to take away millions of insurance from Americans, if they want to focus on uh, her opinions on Roe versus Wade, then it's going to look different. You know, it's going to be a little bit different. Um, right now, if Trump and the Republicans want to have a chance, they'll have to hope that this shifts a lot of focus to the Democrats. I think that right now. Trump has Trump and the Republicans have a little bit of an opportunity to be able to kind of sit back a bit and be able to say, well, look at how Nancy Pelosi's acting right now. Look at how these Democrats are acting and treating Amy Coney Barrett, who's a perfectly good, you know, she's a mother of seven. She's got two adopted kids. She's a good American person, just just a normal woman. And the Democrats want to attack her. They want to drag her through the mud. They want to say all of these awful things about her, which a lot of Democrats have already come out and said some terrible stuff about Amy Coney Barrett. Um, if the Republicans are able to sit back and push all the focus onto the Democrats and on Joe Biden, it's going to give them a final little push going into the election that they need. As of right now, though, the polls are not looking good for Republicans. All across the country, Republicans are in, I mean, deadlock ties or are losing significantly to Democrats from Senate races, House races, state races, uh, and the presidential election as well. So um, these are some pivotal moments for both the Republicans and the Democrats heading into the November election. It is going to be 
extremely interesting over the next couple weeks. And I have no doubt that it's going to give us tons of content and tons of things to talk about here on the Split the Difference podcast. So those are the three stories for today. Let's head on into my favorite part of the show, something that made me smile. So something that made me smile today actually happened over this weekend. It was my wife and I and uh, a couple friends were able to sit down and watch one of the best Halloween movies, just a cult classic. It's called Hocus Pocus. I don't know if you or anyone that you know, or I guess maybe your family watched Hocus Pocus as a kid. If you haven't watched Hocus Pocus, one, I'm going to be absolutely blown away. But two, you are missing out. I forgot how good that movie was. It is hilarious. It is your classic early 90s corny Disney movie, and it is great. Uh, if you have not seen Hocus Pocus, you got to hop in on Disney Plus and watch that movie. Um, I want to hear also, as we are gearing up for the spookiest time of the year in October and heading towards Halloween, what some of y'all's favorite Halloween movies are. There's a million of them out there. There's a ton of them that are like little kids' movies, but there's some also really scary movies out there. I personally am a big fan of scary movies. I love sitting down with a nice pumpkin beer or some apple cider, especially if it's a little cold outside, and watching a scary movie, getting close to Halloween. That is a ton of fun. So, Find me on Instagram at Split the Difference with one T. Uh, find me on YouTube. Search my channel name at Split the Difference. Send, shoot me a comment. Give me a like. Give me a share. And comment. Let me know what your favorite Halloween movie is. I would love to get a good list of Halloween movies to watch here over the next couple weeks because that would be a ton of fun. Anyways, thank you for thank you for listening in. Thank you for helping me to look at the both sides of the aisles, both sides of the aisle. It's kind of find that truth, find that good stuff that's in the middle. Um, find me on social media. Hit me up. Say hey to me. Tell me what you like about the show. Give me a like. Drop me a thumbs up. Definitely helps a ton in getting the name out there. Share us to your friends and family if you think that this is good. We appreciate your support here from the Split and Difference podcast. And uh, we're going to remember always signing off as keeping a level head. Always try your best to be reasonable. Look at both sides of the aisle and always split the difference. Appreciate it. This is Austin Taylor. <laughs>